So we are going through a series uh, here at Emmanuel Anglican Church called Praying the Psalms. The purpose of this series is to learn the, the ways of prayer that, uh, that Jesus himself practiced when he was on this earth, and that the people of God throughout the millennia have practiced themselves. When we pray the Psalms, we are formed in such a way uh, that, first of all, we, we know ourselves better, because the Psalms are so honest. These Psalms are much more honest than the modern age. Um, but we also get to know a God who hears our honesty. We are connected in a meaningful way and formed in a meaningful way according to the character of the one who hears us and trans- transforms us in that prayer. Um, we're a young church, and so we need uh, to learn the language of, 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 of prayer uh, because we are going to face many joys and many challenges together. Um, that will, that will require the language of the Psalms, will require this prayer book, um, so that we can turn to the one who can help us walk through these great joys and these great challenges, because we can't do it on our own. So uh, we've come to Psalm 90 uh, in, our, in our series, and um, uh, this is a sobering psalm. This is a, a, a sobering psalm. Uh, that pro- properly situate, situates us so that we may be able to pray rightly. Um, and so uh, there are just three basic points that I want to draw from, from this prayer, which is attributed to Moses. Um, the first two points um, are, are not only reflected uh, in the text, but they also can be affirmed by many thoughtful people. Uh, and so if you are here today and you don't consider yourself uh, a Christian or someone who ascribes to the Christian faith or doesn't even find it compelling, I want to con- just invite you to consider um, uh, that Psalm 90 is going to reflect reality to us um, in a way that you can see without being someone who uh, necessarily would affirm the Christian faith. The third point, however, is a particularly hopeful point, and it is a uniquely Christian point. And, um, and I hope that if you are a Christian, that it encourages you. And that if you're not, you consider it, that you chew on it. So, three points. First point, we need all three. I need you to stay with me through all three because they go together, okay? Um, so don't hang me up on, on one of the points, please. Uh, point number one, uh, we want to leave a legacy. Everybody here wants to leave a legacy. Uh, there's a... a a business uh, and productivity thinker named Pat Lencioni. And he wrote a book, uh, I think it was something, it was called like Three Signs of a Miserable Job, uh, Three Contributions to a Miserable Job. And he, he counted those, uh, those signs, uh, those, those uh, things as irrelevance, immeasurability, and anonymity. So if you hate your job, it may be because you feel like your work is irrelevant, that like, hey, it doesn't seem... Uh, to matter to anybody, to the world. No, no one's really changed by this. This isn't really helping anything. This is just going into a big black hole uh, of who knows what. Um, the, so the second one, maybe you feel like it's immeasurable. You don't know what it means to do a good job or not. You're not really sure, hey, maybe, maybe this is really exceptional. Maybe this, is, maybe this is absolute garbage, but no one's measuring it. There's no system of measurement. And so maybe you are frustrated with your job because it's immeasurable. And the third one is anonymity. So maybe you go in and you pour your heart into your job, but no one knows you there. 
and no one it, no one takes concern, especially people who are who are supervising you. No one no one knows who you are really. No one cares who you, who you are. So so immeasurability, irrelevance, and anonymity contribute to a really meaning meaningless job. Um, a legacy, on the other hand, is a good and lasting contribution to the world. It's a good and lasting contribution to the world, and we all hunger to, to leave a legacy. So our work matters to the world because it's good. Um, we can be proud of our work. Um, someone could look on our contribution and say, it is very good. And, uh, and not just for a moment, but it's lasting. It's not just good, it's lasting. So the work continues. The, the contribution that we make outlasts us. It outlasts our presence at our job. It outlasts our presence in our home. Um, it goes way beyond us, and that, and that encourages us. So if it's good and if it's lasting work, it is a legacy, and we all want to leave a legacy. And we do so through our work, through our relationships, uh, through our family, um, and, and we're made with this desire. I remember several years ago uh, when we lived in northern Virginia, just outside of D.C., um, I would come home from my job, and my three-year-old son, some of you know him, his name is Gus, he was three at the time, and he would take these construction blocks every day, and he would, he would like make a really great tower out of them. And this is kind of a precursor to you know, like Lego insanity in our house. Um, but, uh, but I would come home, and he would say, Dada, come see my tower. Dada, come see my tower. And, um, and, uh, and I would look at this tower, and he would want me to take a picture of it so, like, you know, so we could remember the tower. And... Uh, <laughs> And he would want me to say, oh, I love the tower. Oh, this is so good, buddy. But then that wasn't the only thing. We had to, we had to put the tower on a tower so that the one-year-old Sam couldn't destroy it because Gus wanted it to last. He didn't want it to just to crumble. He wanted it, he wanted it to last. And so, so he wanted me to say, hey, it's good, and also I'm going to preserve this um, into, in, into the ages so that we can see how good your work is. And we still have the pictures. Um, so um, another example I saw of this uh, just this summer is my neighbor was seeding grass where the, where the ground was kind of just brown. And it was really great to see it because every day he'd be out there, not every day, but almost every day, he'd be out there, he'd be putting seeds in or he'd be watering it. And we'd be like, hey, what's going on, Mike? He's, you know, just keeping the grass, and he's got kids, and I've got kids, and so we want him, we want our kids to be able to play on the grass. There's only so many square feet of grass in Chicago, and we need, the mo we need more, um, and he was creating more, and it was really beautiful to see. It was a good contribution to the world. Um, so we've got all kinds of contributions um, represented here, and, and I've talked with many of you about your contribution. I, I personally am excited to hear about ways that you are putting good things into the world, so people helped, and, and medically helped, psychologically helped, uh, professionally helped. There's all kinds of ways that, that, that your work builds up people. Or maybe it's children raised, and that, that is hard work. And you want that to last, and it does last. Um, homes rehabbed. Some of you do that. Some of you buy homes. You rehab homes. That's hard work. You want to see that. You want to see that be become a good home for some people. Uh, books written, essays written, uh, works of scholarship done, um, community that's formed, or businesses that are started, or education that's completed, um, justice that's served, art that is created, uh, babies that are delivered, um, or babies that are made. Uh, 
Marriage is held. Laws passed. Students taught. All of this meaningful and good contribution that lasts. If we get that sense that our work matters, um, our motivation goes way, way up. If someone's like, hey, what you're doing, just so you know, it has been noticed. And, 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 and guess what? It's having an impact. Like, man, we're like all the more excited to go to work. We're all the more excited to pour into our kids. We're all the more excited to open up our laptop and get working. Um, now, here's the materialist, and not materialistic, but the, the philosophical materialist perspective on this phenomenon, human phenomenon. It is this. People like Sam Harris will, will say something like this, or, or even Ernest Becker would say something like this. We're afraid of death, and this is our way of coping. This is our way of denying that we're going to die, is, is meaningful, lasting contributions to the world. Now, here's the Christian perspective on this. We are made in God's image. And, and our desires reflect his desires to a certain point, not perfectly, surely imperfectly, but our desires reflect his desires for work that is good and work that is lasting. Um, he has put eternity into our hearts. He's put eternity into our hearts, and we know that we are meant to do something that lasts for eternity, something that lasts beyond us. Um, this perspective is hinted at in the first two verses of, of our psalm. Look with me in, in Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Um, so, so, Lord, you have given us, the people of God, a sense of permanence from generation to generation. You've been our dwelling place. That dwelling place has been a sense of permanence that outlasts one individual life. There is a sense that the Lord's presence is generation to generation, and we can even be aware of that even though our bodies don't last from generation to generation. Um, it says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So because we are made in God's image, we want our work and our lives to matter from generation to generation. We want to leave a legacy. And friends, this is good. Remember point one, okay, when I talk about point two. Because point two is this. We cannot leave a legacy. We cannot leave a legacy. We want to leave a legacy, and it's right that we do. But friends, we cannot leave a legacy. Um, we cannot leave a legacy because God has called us to die along with our contributions. We cannot leave a legacy because God has called us to die and with us our contributions. Look with me in verse 3. Um, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. So inasmuch as God, if you believe in God and you, you believe that he had a creational role to play, um, he's spoken life out of dust and he's breathed his spirit on mankind and, and he's given us meaning and purpose and joy and connection in the world and now the psalmist is picturing metaphorically this process being reversed through the same authoritative word of God he creates us through his word calls us out of dust and then he speaks us back into dust die, O children of man and with it, your contribution. 
So eternity is in our hearts, but it has not been encoded into our bodies. Eternity is written into our hearts, but it has not been written into the created order that we now live in. Verse 4 says this, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Now think about this. What if your contribution, the one that you're most proud of, the one that you've been working really, really hard on and dreaming about, what if that contribution lasted a thousand years and had, had a, a thousand year run of really impacting the world? And then around a thousand years, it started to peter away and people forgot about it. But I mean, that's, that's more than, 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 than almost anybody's contribution in the world. And it was your contribution lasted a thousand years. Friends, if there's a God and he's eternal, he's not impressed with a thousand years. He's not impre- he will outlast a thousand years. It's going to go by like that. It's going to go by like that. Verse 5 and 6 says this, You sweep them away as with a flood, and they're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. Now speaking of grass... My neighbor, I mean, he, his patch of grass was looking mighty sweet at the beginning of June. I mean, it was like ready for operation. And then the city of Chicago came through and handed out flyers that said, we need to replace the water main on your street. It's over 100 years old. And you know what we saw happen? We saw big modernistic machines come through <laughs> and diggers and all the things dreamed about in Bob the Builder. And, like, it wasn't happy, friends. I mean, it was digging and digging, and his grass, it just got torn to shreds by something more powerful. Torn to shreds, and it felt meaningless. Um, And you know what? Our work can really feel like that. It can feel like a sandcastle. That's like, it takes all of your efforts and labor, and you get sunburned in the process. You know, and, and you, use, you use your ingenuity and your imagination, and you build something beautiful. You know, you write a beautiful song. You write an incredible essay. You, you put your labor into something. And then, lo and behold, nature brings along, or God brings along, a more powerful wave, something that, like, has no regard for your sandcastle, and just crushes it and sweeps it away And after maybe three waves, the sand is back to where it was before. Why is it that so much of our work, even when we're alive, feels like that? Why is it that so much of our work feels like it gets undone like that? The psalmist sees the hand of God actively doing this. Now, I don't like to say hard things, but friends, this is in our psalm. The psalmist is being honest. And I I appreciate people who are being honest because they'll say things that no one else will say. And what this psalmist is saying is, God exists. He's real. He is, as described in, in the book of Job that we heard today, he is powerful. And his presence is at work in the world, calling people and calling people's contributions to perish and to die. So that's one of the reasons why our contribution 
why we can't leave a legacy. But secondly, friends, we can't leave a legacy because so much of what we do is corrupted. It says in uh, verse 7, we are brought to an end by your anger. We're not just brought to an end by the slow march of time as the psalmist sees it. We're brought to an end by your anger and by your wrath. We are dismayed. And then it's as if God shines a big fog light into the corner of our life that we've shunted away so that no one else can see it. And he shines a light on the contribution we don't want to make. The contribution we don't want to be permanent. Which is the ways that we've hurt other people. And the things that we've done that are unjust. The, what the psalmist describes as iniquities. And no matter where you are at in terms of your system of morality, I would guess that you have iniquities, things that you would consider iniquities, and things that you're not proud of in your life. The psalmist is helping us see that God sees that without any, he's not playing any games with what we've done in our life that we're not proud of. And he will, like any good artist, like any good coach, like any good parent, he will evaluate work. And when work does not meet his standards, he will say, that's not worthy of going into my project. Which one of us would succeed at our jobs if we didn't do that? Which one of us uh, in our relationships would be anything but unkind if we were to accept all work as good work? Some work's not good enough. Why can't God do that too? Why can't he be both merciful, loving, as well as evaluative, looking at some work and saying, that is not worthy of lasting into eternity. So right now, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, so-called, is marching through Iraq and destroying, beheading, and absolutely ransacking Christian communities in Iraq. God looks at work like that and he says, in my wrath, I will put an end to this work. It will not last. This injustice, this sin, uh, this evil will die. It will have an end. And it, I will not bring it into my eternal generation to generation project. Work that is violent, work driven by vanity, work driven by greed will be brought to an end. They are impurities that must be removed from God's eternal project. Now this can lead to nihilism. Let me give you the ultimate hopeless perspective that Nietzsche was being just honest about. And here's what he said about the human project. In some remote corner of the universe, flickering in the light of the countless solar systems into which it has been poured, there was once a planet, he's speaking of our planet, which clever animals invented cognition. It was the most arrogant and mendacious minute in the history of the world, Nietzsche says. A minute was all it was. And after nature had dawned just a few more breaths, the planet froze and the clever animals had to die. Someone could invent a fable like this, and yet they would still not have given a satisfactory illustration of just how pitiful, how insubstantial and transitory, how purposeless and arbitrary the human intellect looks within nature. In other words, what he's saying is, 
how pitiful your sandcastle looks when nature brings its wave and the sun burns out and you and everyone else is gone. There were eternities, he continues, during which it did not exist, and when it has disappeared again, nothing will have happened. That's Nietzsche saying, your contribution doesn't matter, and he was just trying to be honest, okay? That's the nihilistic perspective of you have no legacy. There's a different way we can look at this. We don't have to look at this simply as we're here because nature got us here and we're going to be gone because nature has us here. Our past is meaningless. Our future is meaningless. All Nietzsche was going, if you're going to say your past is meaningless and your future is meaningless, have the guts to admit that your present is meaningless. There's a different perspective though. A perspective rooted in the existence and the presence of God. And it is reflected in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days not for a heart of nihilism, not for a heart of hopelessness, but for a heart of wisdom. And friends, where does wisdom begin? Wisdom begins with the fear of God. Wisdom begins with the fear of God. That God exists, that he's powerful, that he's loving, that he's holy, that he is the one who holds eternity into his hands. He is the substantial one. He is the one who holds legacies in his hands. So we've accepted our creaturely limitations, yes, not in hopelessness. We know we will have a short life. We know that in 50 years we won't be remembered. By the way, who's your great-grandfather's name? What's his great-great-grandfather's name? You have several of them. Do you remember any of them? If you do, congratulations. Do you remember what their contribution was? What they did with their life? You don't? How are you going to be remembered? How will your contribution be remembered? And if it is remembered, will it matter? The psalmist says, yes. Teach us to understand that we're, our lives are short, that our contribution is limited. Um, but that God will make us his legacy. And that's the third point. So number one, we want to leave a legacy. Number two, we cannot leave a legacy. Not in our own power we can. But number three, God has promised to make us his legacy. Now remember what a legacy is. A legacy is a good and lasting contribution to reality, to the world. A good and a, it is a very good and a very lasting and very consequential uh, contribution to the world. And the psalmist points us to the truth that we are God's contribution. We are God's legacy. We've always thought of it the other way around, that we were going to be the one leaving the legacy. We were going to be the one changing the world. We were going to be the one who, uh, to, who helped people who brought joy to the world, who brought justice to the world. The psalmist is going to flip that and say, no, 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 no. You are God's legacy. Um, our lives point back to God. The permanence of our contribution points back to God. Uh, the goodness of our existence points back to God. Um, this is the only way that we can walk back the second point, as it were. Because our contribution does matter, but not because uh, we are the ones who will bask in the glory of it. God will bask in the glory of it, and we will bask in the glory of him. I recently heard a story, uh, a true story, from um, a teacher named Paul Tripp, and he was a first-grade teacher at one point in his life, and, um, and it was someone's birthday party, and so they had, like, decorated for the birthday party, so on the one, uh, one end of the table, there was like lots and lots of presents. 
and everywhere else there was like party favors. There was like the little like you know little whistles and tootsie rolls and things. And um, the party favor is a way of saying, you know, it's not your birthday, <laughs> um, but you're welcome to join the party. And so um, all the kids were having a great time, but there was one kid who was like huffing and puffing. He was like. <laughs> And there was a teacher who came up to him, and as Paul Tripp says, wax theological. And she came up to him, she knelt down, and she said, It's not your party. (laughs) The secret of happiness to being at this party. It's not your party. It's not your glory. It's not your legacy. You are God's legacy. And that is the only way, friends, to freedom in this life. Is to acknowledging that, to letting that be what it is, and basking in that. We are His creatures. We're not our own creatures. We want to bring something to the table. Something good enough. We want to be good enough. That is a failing project. Because God makes us his legacy. So, verse 13. The psalmist has given up on his project. And he says, in desperation, return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Um, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Um, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many days as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to the children. Friends, don't miss the joy in these verses. Don't miss the joy. We aren't nihilists. We are worshipers. There is joy. Look, it says, it refers to satisfaction in verse 14 and rejoicing and being glad at the end of verse 14 and making us glad um, in verse 15. God can say, he can say, look, you know what I've done? I, the Lord, have answered the prayers of my people. I have returned. I have returned. I've made them glad. I've made them satisfied. I've caused them to rejoice. And how has he done that? Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. The way that God answered this prayer is that he came in the form of a human person named Jesus who lived a short 33-year life, mostly in obscurity. And he was put to death on a Roman cross. He was tortured and then killed. And he was doing so not simply because the Romans were mad at him, though they were, but also because he was fulfilling his vocation of receiving into himself the evil and the independence and the wrong and the sin that we have all contributed to so that he could take it away and start a new creation. Start a new project. And in so doing, he reversed the death of the old project. That project of independence and sin and living independently from God as our own kings and our own queens, that's rumbling on to a close. And he started something new in the cross and God raised him from the dead to vindicate that offering and in so doing he invites our contribution to be part of that part of renewing the face of the earth 
It starts now. God has a dramatic finish that is coming in history, and he invites us to be a part of it. And guess how he's going to do it? He's going, he invites us to be adopted, friends, as sons and daughters, adopted. Romans 8 says that that adoption will have a direct contribution to the renewal of all things. Romans 8 says uh, creation waits. Creation, where we're all trying to contribute to, waits in eager expectation uh, for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. It's waiting for God to put us on display as his legacy. It's waiting for that. And when that happens, all of creation will be renewed by God's power. And when that happens, we will see how God has been preserving work and contributions that we do Monday through Saturday and on Sunday. He's been preserving it. He will breathe life into it. And he will set it into his new creation and give it eternal meaning forever. And that will be his legacy, and we will bask in it. I invite you to listen to an earlier sermon that was done by my friend Matthew Mason, who's now in England planting a church. I'll send it through the listserv. I'll post it on Facebook so that you can listen to this sermon from May, which unpacks um, uh, from 1 Corinthians how this happens in the kingdom of God. But verse 17 gives us the promise. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And friends, he promises to. He invites us to devote our work to him. And he will establish it. Not only will he establish our work, he will mark us. He will put his presence on us. He will give us, he will give us resurrected bodies. He will cause us to live forever. He will invite us to be part of the new creation. He will establish the work um, in ways that we never could ourselves. Now, this is a sermon, this is a series about praying the Psalms. Here's one practical thing that you can do to pray Psalm 90. I want you, uh, I want to invite you, take out a journal this week and write down what what is most meaningful to you in this world, the contribution that matters the most to you. Write it down and offer it up to the Lord. If you are a Christian, invite God to breathe hope into your life that he is going to take this legacy, he's going to take this work, and that he's going to make you his legacy. If you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to take the next step of considering the claims that I've laid out this morning. Pick up a book that you can find easily on Amazon called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. And this will make a compelling case, uh, a reasonable case, that God does exist and that he has manifest himself in the person, historical person of Jesus, who died and was resurrected and accounted for in history. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are God would you make us your legacy would you relieve from us the burden of leaving an independent legacy that will last forever and would you make us your legacy teach us Lord how to pray Psalm 90 in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen